Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Proselytize or Apostatize. My name is Caleb Jackson, and today we are going to watch a debate between everyone's favorite person of the show, David Russell, who, of course, is a host, uh, against Cassiano Mwaba, who is a uh, newcomer to this show. So thank you all both for, for being here. And uh, today, I think we're going to be discussing current events and the problem of evil and the Epicurean paradox. So uh, let's just have both of our guests uh, introduce each other first. So uh, Cassiana, do you want to just introduce yourself, say who you are, promote any of your stuff like that? Okay, let me go first. Well, I'm Cassiano Mwaba. Yeah, I'm from Africa, Zambia, specifically. I'm an agnostic atheist. I don't believe in God because there's no evidence proof that God exists. No evidence or proof to, to say that God exists. So we're going to talk about the problem of evil and if God is really triomni, meaning if he's really omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. And we're going to compare that with evil that's happened in the world. All right. Thank you so much, Cassiano. And of course, we have David Russell. So David, I think most people on the show know your background, but do you just have any thoughts before we get started on this? What specifically you want to say? Yeah, man, I just wanted to welcome my uh, opponent here. I mean, I met him through a uh, Facebook group called Atheist Christian Debate Group. And if he wants, I can post this on on that group later on. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, it's an honor to actually meet him. Uh, you know, we've always we kind of butt heads on that group every once in a while, have some battles and stuff. So, uh, yeah, man, I, I, you know, enjoy talking to Cassiano. I enjoy the challenges that that he presents. Uh, also, you know, this channel is built for this. It's built for discussion, respectful discussion, you know, that even when we disagree, we can leave the discussion without being disagreeable. You know, and we can both both say, hey, we have a difference of opinion, but at the end of the day, you know, we're going to smile, shake hands and be friends, you know. So, uh, Cassiano, I just want to welcome you to the PRA family. Um, I whenever <laughs> whenever I have a, a new guest, I, I tell them, hey, man, if you want to return uh, on the show and if you ever want to uh, bring a topic to the show, a topic you you want to host even you know you can do that you know we that's you know that's what we're here for we we're we like to plug all those type of things um i'm also interested to see how your country looks uh you should post some pictures sometime man uh, i you know okay. i love i love uh you know uh foreign countries and looking at the beauty that that is just in them and the cultures i love all that stuff man i love people in general so yeah i would love to see some pictures sometime man um but yeah man um caleb i'll, I'll give it back to you guys to know my my story uh you know i'm a christian um and i'm in apologetics i'm actually getting my master's in philosophy so i've dealt with the epicurean paradox before and understand it so yeah um other than that i host skeptics and seekers as well where i have regular conversations with skeptics that aren't so nice as Cassiano. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so yeah, you know, I help host that debate channel too. I also uh, run the Facebook page, Virginia Apologetics Union. So um, other than that, I'm on WordPress with Virginia Apologetics Union as well. So I'll kick it back to you, brother. All right. Thank you so much, David. So yeah, again, just for People who may just now be joining, uh, it is over, this debate is going to be over current events, the problem of evil, and the Epicurean paradox. So both of our guests today are going to have 10-minute openings, and then it's just going to be a fairly informal discussion for the remaining time. So with that, I will let Cassiano take it away. You have about 10 minutes, Cassiano, and you may begin your opening statement now. Okay. So with the murder of the Pentecostals in Ukraine, I'm surprised how an all-loving God and an all-powerful God and an all-knowing God would allow fellow Christians to kill fellow Christians. If we check the people who were murdered in this, in this event, those bloody, okay, the names are kind of, can't really uh, spell the names, but what those Vladimir, something, something who was married, a married father of eight children, then there was Victor, who was a married father of three children. Then there was Ruvi, 
who's the son of the past. So I, would, I want to focus on Reuben, the son of the past, because that's the son of the man of God. If God truly, if God is truly omnipotent and all powerful, why would he let the son of his representative, who is the man of God, who is the preacher, die like this? And then if we go to the Epicurean paradox here, is God willing to prevent evil, but not able, then he is not omnipotent. So I want us to focus on two words, willing and able. Because if God is really willing to prevent evil, if we go in the Bible, he sent the flood to kill the people. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So on the Bible, you can see that in past events, God tried to eradicate evil, but he failed. He sent us the Ten Commandments. It's not that I believe in this, but I'm just using references from the Bible. But he sent the Ten Commandments. And obviously, the Ten Commandments are against evil. And if we read Isaiah 45, verse 7, where God says he creates good and evil, if he can create evil, why can't he even stop it? Because the evil in that context is uh, calamity, lack of peace. So why is he failing to stop it like that? Uh, I'll end there, then we can just go into a discussion. All right, thank you, Cassiano. And I will give uh, David his time. Dave, you have around 10 minutes if you want it. And you Go when you're ready. All right. Well, you know, Cassiano asked to discuss events that transpired during 2014. Rebels that belonged to a Russian Orthodox church kidnapped four Pentecostal Protestants. This single event inspired further religious persecution in Russia at the time. Um, one question posed by Cassiano was, why would God allow his own people to murder each other over doctrine? Cassiano's question is a real one. It's one of the reasons I wanted to do this debate. It does not pertain to this particular situation either. Um, this has been gone going for centuries. Look at the, the, the trouble that the UK had with Ireland Protestants killing Catholic militants. You know, um, They slaughtered one another. Um, during the Crusades, when Catholic militants turned on the Orthodox believers and took their icons. The point is, we could list countless examples of Christians persecuting other Christians. The, pro the problem is real and must be dealt with. I will admit some answers aren't easy. Some may never satisfy. Nevertheless, a Christian must give an answer, according to 1 Peter 3.15. Christians have often dealt with what we call the problem of evil in two ways. The first is to give a defense. The defense demonstrates that evil is compatible with the existence of God. The second is what we call theodicy. Theodicy aims to provide an account as to why God actually permits evil. In today's discussion, I will try to outline my response based on these two distinguishing features. The first thing is abundantly clear to me. Uh, if evil exists... It is only makes sense from a theistic worldview and makes best sense from a, if Christianity is true. Um, once Cassiano started talking the Ten Commandments and stuff, he kind of did put himself in the Christian worldview. And he, he kind of admits that, that, you know, these things are supposedly what is bad. Not that I believe in them, but, you know, this is how do Christians answer this, basically. So my, my premise is – if God does not exist, then objective moral values and duties do not exist, but evil exists, i.e. the brutality that we just talked about. Therefore, objective moral values and duties do exist. Therefore, God exists. If, if Cassiano wants to level an accusation against God, he first needs to concede this argument. Otherwise, he has no legs to stand on. If moral realism is true, meaning objective moral values and duties exist, then Cassiano will have to demonstrate an objective standard that exists independently of himself that grounds this morality. Simply, Cassiano needs to make a case that good and evil actually exist, are not dependent on subjective preference, and are rooted in an actual standard independent to, of himself. 
Epicurus is one of the first to try to bring this issue of evil to the forefront of philosophical thought. His original argument went as this. God, he says, either wishes to take away evils and is unable, or he is able and is unwilling, or he is neither willing nor able, or he is both willing and able. See, Epicurus was not an atheist. He believed in the gods. His argument wasn't, was put forth to demonstrate the lack of care the gods had in humans' affairs. He often argued against what the Stoics believed. However, however, other atheists have modified the argument and proposed it in an attempt to disprove God's existence. That argument is as follows. Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is not omnipotent. Is he able but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both willing and able? Then whence cometh evil? Is he neither willing or able? Then why call him God? The problem with this supposed paradox is that it assumes some premises that aren't being revealed. It assumes that if God is all-powerful, then he can create any world he wants. It also assumes that if God is omnibelevolent, or uh, yeah, omnibelevolent, then it prefers that he prefers a world without evil. This isn't necessarily true, and why and what it doesn't even bring into the picture is God's omniscience. Basically, this argument hinges on the notion that God is all powerful and all good. To the first assumption, I would say that making a world with libertarian free will doesn't mean that an omnipotent being like God can create any possible world he wants. As long as, as long noted by theists, God can't do logically impossible things. If God grants people genuine freedom to choose as they like, then he can't guarantee the, what choices they will, that they will make. This doesn't say God can't know what free creatures can do. So it doesn't conflict with his omniscience. It also doesn't mean God can't direct things concerning himself being omniscient and all-powerful. Basically, creatures doing what they want can't count against God's omniscient. Philosopher Alvin Plantinga says, a world containing free creatures who are significantly free is more valuable being e all being equal than a world containing no free creatures at all. God could create free creatures but cannot determine or cause them to do what is right. For if he does, then they aren't significantly free at all. <clears throat> they don't they they don't do what is right freely basically to create creatures capable of moral good he must also create creatures of capable of moral evil he can't give these creatures the freedom to perform evil and prevent them from doing so as it turned out sadly enough some of the free creatures god created went wrong in their exercise of their freedom this is the source of moral evil. The fact that free creatures go wrong, however, doesn't count against God's omnipotence nor against his goodness, for he could have forestalled the occurrence of moral evil only by removing the possibility of moral good. To the second assumption, God may prefer a world without evil, but at what cost? How much worse would it be if humanity were reversed to the Borg Collective in Star Trek? Uh, would, wouldn't that be an even greater evil than allowing mankind to actually have freedom? Without freedom, love, passion, and desire become meaningless. Scripted enslavement is simply that, enslavement. We have entire movies to demonstrate the horror of this. The truth is there may not be a possible world that God could create where we are free and have no evil or misfortune, or maybe the ones that could exist were not feasible for him to create. Furthermore, C.S. Lewis once said, the moment you have a self at all, there is a possibility of putting yourself first, wanting to be the center, wanting to be God. At this point, the Christian worldview makes complete sense. Mankind walked away from God and his lordship. Now they have to pay the consequences of that choice. The question for Cassiano to answer is, how could God give humans free will and not let them hurt others? If you can't imagine a way, 
Could it be possible that there isn't another way? Think of Avengers Infinity War, where Doctor Strange examines all possible outcomes, and out of those countless millions, I think there was like 14, uh, there was only one way. Yet in that one way, to save all life in the universe, there would be significant suffering and death. Could this be a possibility? It has convinced several philosophers on both sides of this debate. Atheist William Rowe says there is a fairly compelling argument for the view that the existence of evil is logically inconsistent with the existence of a theistic god. Agnostic Paul Draper notes there have been serious attempts given that show evil is logically compatible with God's existence. But just because philosophers philosophers think this doesn't make it true. However, if God made us free, then I don't see any way out of the free will defense. To be absolutely free, we must choose how we want to be. Going back to our situation of Christian-on-Christian persecution, I want to note that Christians are still battling sin. They still suffer, and sanctification is a hard, grueling process. Christ describes that uh, you have to be willing to take up a cross to follow him. Other factors must be considered as well. Were those people that were doing the killers killing really following the commands of Jesus? Were they Christian in name only? The possibilities are endless. Again, I'm reminded of the words of C.S. Lewis who said, the Christian answer that we have used our free will to become very bad is so well known that it hardly needs to be stated. But to bring this doctrine to real life in the minds of modern man and modern Christians is very hard. The truth is we can go down throughout the centuries to see to see this atrocity after atrocity from Rwanda to Darfur, from England against Tasmania, from Nazis to Jews. And from the raping of Nanking to save slavery in the antebellum South in America, no matter what continent or what time period, mankind has been using has used its freedom in the most destructive ways imaginable. With that said, my argument and answer can be seen as this: evil exists because humans had the freedom to choose God, but instead chose to be their own gods. When we walked away from God and chose a different Lord, bad things happened within us. If we stayed in him, would have been prevented. God could have inter- could intervene, but doesn't. God wants us to see the real consequences of our choices, and this teaches us the reality of a life without God. And four natural laws must work in a regular way for things to have any real meaning. Again, this whole idea of, act, of actual evil makes sense from a Christian point of view. The whole of Christian theology can't be left out while making a theodicy. God has morally sufficient reason to allow pain and suffering. One such example is a soul-building theodicy that states demonstrably that going through certain times of suffering molds better character. Another theodicy deals with our finite understanding of For example, we may not understand why we are going through something, but in the end, it was for our own good. Think of a parent taking their child to the dentist or getting a vaccination, as Caleb just got today. (laughs) Um, It might not be understood at the time, but getting that vaccination improves, may very well save his life. (laughs) The truth is, the journey teaches us. Pain is a megaphone that gets our attention. Christianity approaches this from an eternal perspective as well, that although we have chosen to rebel against the holy God, God enters the world to save us from ourselves. He allowed justice to fall on himself so mercy would fall on us. Augustine said God had one son on earth without sin, but not one without suffering. The gospel tells us of the creator that takes responsibility for what has happened to his creation bearing the full weight of it on his shoulders. These theodicies and so forth has led uh, Paul Draper, again an agnostic, uh, to say these words. In order for a logical argument from evil to succeed, it would be necessary to show that for some known fact about evil, it is logically impossible for a god to have a good moral reason to permit that fact to obtain. 
This, he concludes, is what most philosophers believe cannot be shown. And that's my opening statement. Caleb. All right. Thank you very much, David. Appreciate the, the reference. As a correction, I actually got the vaccine yesterday and I'm still feeling it today, but I appreciate the thought. So now we're going to go into a uh, extend time of just informal conversation. So whoever wants to start first can. I think we can maybe start with Cassiano asking the first question or comment just because he, his uh, opening did not last as long as David Russell's and I want to try to give everyone equal talking time. So um, Cassiano, you can ask a question to David or perhaps just comment on what he said or, or kind of just do it however you, you see fit, so. Okay. So my first question is about objective moral values. So you say that if there are no objective moral values, God cannot exist, am I correct? So you're asking David about objective moral values, why they have to exist with God? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because I think moral realism is true. Um, matter of fact, I just did a, a recent look into this, and uh, even most philosophers now are turning to moral realism, uh, and they're not all Christian either. But uh, yeah, I think that that with God being the standard, that moral realism is true. I think that without that standard, there is no um, – uh, objective moral values and duties. I don't. I don't buy into the idea that it's just our flourishing and so forth. So, but go ahead. Yeah, whoever wants to to talk next okay, can. Because like, oh, what's that? Go ahead. What's that? So like, yeah. uh, I wanted to ask another question. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. So, like. Everyone around the world for different cultures and different religions have got objective moral values. So if we use this as a verification to say that God exists, then how many gods exist? Well, you see, I don't look at it that way. I see a moral convergence uh, throughout all different cultures. There are a certain... Um, yeah, so uh, I think all cultures have you know, we converge on a, a certain, certain aspect. So uh, my, my argument wouldn't be that there has to be many gods for it for the simple fact is I think that once you look at morality in general, we all have it, not only that, but we're all, we, it's so intuitive to us. Um, so we wouldn't be discussing how we come to know morality but it's the ontology of where that morality actually comes from. So I, I would think that it would, I think, you know, morality exists because of God. And I have my other reasons why I think uh, the God of Christianity would be true. Does that answer your question? Okay. So um, let's say, for example, like an atheist, like me, I've got, let's say I've got uh, objective moral values, but I don't believe in a God. So, how would that be possible? Well, because I, yeah, I don't think you need. Okay, go ahead to finish. I I don't want to interrupt you. I have objective moral values, so there must be God somewhere there, right? Yeah. So when we're yeah, how do I verify that that God exists? Okay, so I think you can be. I think you can have objective moral values and duty and not believe in God. That's not my objection. I think that. At the core of it, God has to exist for it to okay. actually be good, right? So, uh, like, I think I, I, you probably live better than some Christians I know. You know, <laughs> I don't know for sure. However, you know, uh, I think ontologically that those moral values and duties existing objectively uh, points towards a God along with other arguments that, that point to God that is just evidence to say – that he exists, uh, whether you believe in him or not. So you could not believe in him and still be a good person objectively. You could still you know, live a good moral life, but uh, you can't have actual good without God. You can't have actual good with no God. Yes, yes, absolutely. Otherwise, what do you what do you what do you actually uh, justifying good as 
You know, it's not like if we're saying it's objective, it's not like me saying, you know, I like chocolate ice cream and you like vanilla ice cream. You know, it's it's not that's not if we're saying it's objective, that means it exists outside of ourselves. that it's, something is grounding that objective truth. So if good is objectively true, it has to be grounded in something outside of ourselves. And if we're justifying that outside of ourselves, I think that God is necessary for that. So. God is necessary. Okay. Like, for example, let me. An objective moral value, would be like uh, not stealing, because like. We can call that an objective moral value, right? Not just yeah. steal. Yeah, I would think yeah, that so, stealing is an objective moral good. Or not stealing yeah, is yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. So, right. Um, <laughs> I bespoke there. <laughs> so um, what I can say is that these things are innate in us because if every, every person around the world yeah. has their own view of what good is, Okay. People in America have their own view. That's what that's the differences in cultures. So okay, like when you're saying that good justifies God's existence, I have a problem with that because if we look at the stories in the Bible, not all the stories show that your God is a good person. Okay, so you're leveling the accusation. You're kind of turning it in a degree. Okay, so I see what you're saying. I think that, uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of things that are descriptive in the Bible, right? There's not prescriptive. So I wouldn't go ahead and say that a lot of those things that you're, you're talking about is uh, – the, the ideal, it's not what God wanted. It's just what people recorded. So if you want to get to God making judgments on people, I mean, that's his prerogative. If God wants to judge humanity because of its sin, um, if, if Christianity is true and God has to judge sin, he has to judge that evil. And I, I would think that you would want a good God, a just God to uh, judge things that are Injust that are wrong, um, even if that means that hey, look, this justice is is what it is. It's God judging sin, and He warned us that sin causes death. So if we have freedom to rebel against Him, we we have to be willing to say, hey, look, God's going to judge. So I I don't see that being a problem as far as that goes. But like one thing that you did say that I think is is very pertinent is that you said, hey, it's innate in us. This is innate in us, and that's why my argument takes it a step further um, on the on the chronology there to say, hey, why is that innate in us? That only makes sense if there's an actual good that we're getting these objective moral values and duties from. So to me, there has to be something there for that to be so innate, and it would be – the burden of proof at that time has to shift to you to say, hey, you know – explain this innateness in us to have these moral values and duties. What are we actually progressing to? You know, if we're trying to get better as time goes on, what are we progressing to? And I do, am very interested if that uh, uh, Zambia uh, Coca-Cola Zambia. there is better. Yeah. Zambia Coca-Cola there is better than American Coca-Cola. <laughs> I'll, I'll have I've to send you. Lived in What's on, that? On a side note, just, on a side note, I've actually lived in America for a year in Kansas yeah. City. Oh wow, wow! So, what soda is better in Zambia or in America? Um, I'll go with the Zambian one. Ah, there you <laughs> <go>. <laughs> you're biased. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> okay. Um, All right. All right. Go ahead. Go back. Back to your point. <laughs> okay. So, um, back on the objective. So. What you're insinuating is that God created objective moral values. No, I think that that objective moral values are the result of his nature. So the his nature is the good, right? He didn't just create these uh, uh, morals. These are actually part of his nature. And then as a result, we have moral values and duties that we perform for each other. So because he's good, we should do good. You know, because he's good, he commands us not to steal from one another. Because he's good, 
he commands us not to murder each other. So, but he also said, hey, look, there's this freedom that I'm giving you to do what you want. However, if you do wrong, this is what will happen. And that's where we got this world that we're living in today. Okay, so uh, let's go to Egypt and we look at the 40, 42 ideals of uh, Ma'at at the Temple of Isis. Okay. I'm just going to read a few of them. Because also these involve objective uh, moral values. Okay. And the Egyptians are not worshipping your God. And it's, it's possible to say that their gods came before your God. You think so? I feel at two and the ten and Horus came before. You, you feel that way? I mean, that's fine. I, I think that the, the bigger issue is, is that, uh, and I think you said this right, that there's this innate uh, moral, ethical uh, uh, intuition that, that is in us. And I think that just because it's different how people express that, and that's fine. This is where like uh, moral realists, like philosophers, will tell you that, hey, uh, there's a, a thing that we call moral convergence. The thing is, where does it actually come from? So if even if Egypt, the Egyptian gods that they believed in uh, predated Abrahamic faith, which I don't think we can really put – a finger on that because we know that the oral history existed alongside all that. I mean, Genesis is a polemic in a way towards those other gods that existed. Now, you know, we know that those oral traditions were rich. Matter of fact, my friend, he's from Kyrgyzstan, and I was telling him about how um, ancient cultures in the ancient Near East had this wonderful oral tradition, and, and I think they call it a high-context oral tradition, and it's wonderful. Uh, it, it, they, it's, it's, you can, like, recite the entire Torah. These guys could cite it, and they did it through, like, song. Well, my friend from Kyrgyzstan, he starts laughing and smiling and getting his eyes just get big. He says, oh, we have an orator like that in my country, and he took me to – uh, this YouTube page, it's in, it's in his Russian language, in the Kyrgyzstan Russian language. Uh, I think they speak all Russian there. Um, but he showed me this guy. He said, this guy recites in song six books, six books verbatim. Okay. So, I mean, this still even exists today. So it's demonstrated that you can actually see these type of things even today in a high context oral tradition. You muted yourself, David. Have I muted myself? No, no, no David muted himself. Yeah, so I, I think that with that, I think there's. it's really interesting that we can see that, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of ancientness to these cultures and i think it's cool i, I love the I, I love looking at egyptian culture matter of fact i have this weird fascination at looking at different mummies too so <laughs> it's pretty interesting man yeah. so david i think just for clarification on what cassiano was asking yeah if i understand cassiano's question right because david you're saying that it's innate in all of us but cassiano yeah. is saying well look there's if it's innate, why is there so much disagreement among other gods, right? Like, could he, he gave the example of Egypt. Could God have given the Ten Commandments to the Egyptians or to every culture so that we would be more consistent? I think I think what he's saying is that if there was objective morality, we would expect everyone to have identical morality or at least close to identical morality across the cultures. But he's saying that yeah. we don't really see that. So I hope that was an yeah. accurate interpretation of what you're saying, Cassiano. But just trying to... Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like... How we express morals can be different due to uh, our location, our, our influences, influences and stuff. Uh, but there is a, a convergence. As I said, these morals do converge at some point, and we see pretty much the same thing throughout all cultures. They're not as different as you would say. Now, there is a thing that they say uh, in moral realism, factual errors do occur. So um, – 
you have a in some Muslim countries, they don't believe women are human beings. However, they still hold to the belief that you can't kill human beings. So it's it's really weird. Uh, another example is in in uh, I don't know where in Africa that these tribes did this not too long ago, but they used to uh, uh, any baby that was born due to a birth defect or something, they would bury under a temple, right? Alive. And it will, you know, it's a horrible thing to think of, but their reasoning, their justification, their factual error was error was that these uh, these birth defects were the cause uh, of being demonically possessed. So they thought they were doing a moral good to bury these kids under a temple instead of saying, oh, no, wait, this kid just has a birth defect. And they still held to the moral notion that killing babies was wrong. But they had a justification for it. Do you see what I mean? Do you get that, Cassiano? Yeah, continue, continue. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that's all that's I wanted it. to say. Well, let me stop it there. So you're saying that um, people can also do things which are considered taboo or evil, but for their reasoning for why they do it. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of different reasons. People have justifications for all sorts of things, um, but you can't you can't get that confused with the fact that moral realism is still there when you when you look at it at the end and you see this convergence that takes place. Then you could see that on we have basically the main things. Mm, just shed light on me of objective moralism because I'm, I'm new to that term. So. Okay, so yeah, moral moral realism. It's it's a very long philosophy. I don't think I'd be able to explain it all uh, here. Yeah, but in a nutshell, it's saying that there uh, there is an actual uh, objective moral right and wrong. There is objective moral morals in the world. Um, Some some people ground them in different different ways. Uh, The theist obviously would say, "No, it's God," uh, and I, uh, some would try like Sam Harris, for example. I don't know if you know who Sam Harris is. Uh, he's an atheist uh, neuroscientist that lives in the States. He tried to he tried to uh, ground it in uh, human flourishing. Um, I don't think that really is strong philosophically, but there's other people that try to do it different ways. But moralism, moral realism is is the notion that, OK, there is a real thing that we experience just like how we experience like epistemic truths, for example, like we ha- we're having this conversation. So it's assumed that I'm going to be tried, try to be just as honest as I can be with you and you with me. You know, there's these things that we agree on. It's it's obvious. It's, you know, intuitive. It, it's self-evident that these things exist. And that's what more realists bank on, that these things actually do exist. However, how do we ground them? Obviously, they're still working that out in life and, and philosophy and so forth. And it's one of those things that that like. You know, you're not going to be able to science. Well, well, it's. I don't think it's a necessarily a broken system. It's a philosophy that's being worked out, right? So these guys are working out a philosophy of okay, how do we identify realism and uh, what do we ground that in? What what is what? Where did it come from? You know, that's kind of like what they're saying. Where did it come from? uh, And how do we? make sense of it you know so that's kind of where what what more realists are working in that's what meta ethics meta ethics is all about because you have the practical ethicist that looks at you know the descriptive nature of morality however you have the meta ethicist that is looking at the uh the prescriptive of moral behavior why how do we get uh an alt from an is right do you get that? Mm-hmm. I get that. I get that. Yeah. Okay, so guys, just, just so we can stir the conversation a little bit, I want to move on to the idea of theodicy, right? Because Cassiano brought up in his opening statement um, this really sad situation where in Ukraine, you know, Christians were killing each other. And so David brought that up in his opening and, and I think mostly appealed to free will of humans. And so uh, I think let's just talk about that. Um, is free will a good um, defense for, the, uh, for this Epicurean paradox? So we'll start with Cassiano. This time okay so um back on true i feel that uh, free will limits god's omniscience because god doesn't know like our past our future 
He doesn't even know our thoughts. It's claimed in the Bible that he knows that, but if we also go to, I'll have to just go to, I'll have to reference the Bible. We can go to um, Genesis 6, verse 6, which are where he's repenting. I feel if you are all knowing of something, and if you know people, people's future thoughts and future actions, you wouldn't be repenting and being grieved. And you wouldn't also send a flood later on or destroy a city like Sodom or Gomorrah. So I feel he never knew that was going to happen. Then we can also look at another uh, Bible verse. Let's see. For example, like the, for the Tower of Babel, where God actually comes down to see what the people are up to. If you know what they're up to, why are you coming to investigate that? Let's go to another, another one. Um, Genesis 3, 8, 3, verse 8 to 13, where Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden, and God had to go find them, meaning he went looking for them. Verse God, Genesis 18, verse 20 to 21, then the Lord said, outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that it will go down and see, see if what they have done is bad as the outcry that has reached for me. If not, I will know. So that last sentence, if not, I will know. That's not implying someone knows, is aware of the future or is aware of what's going on. So if you free will, Make, doesn't make God omniscient. Um, okay. Yeah, so, okay, so as Cassiano was saying, it sounds to me like uh, he's saying that omniscience and free will are not compatible, that places in the Bible have God repenting and not knowing things and, say, and uh, being confused and so forth. So uh, David was putting big emphasis on free will, but uh, I guess we can ask uh, David, how would, you, uh, how, how would you respond to that? Are omniscience and free will incompatible? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I think, matter of fact, like there, you know, when God, if God's outside of time, He can basically make all that come in at once. So for Him, I don't think it's really a, a idea of Him being there. God just knows chronologically what's going to happen beforehand, but it's our free actions that determine what He foreknows. So He would foreknow that. Uh, you know, he would regret making mankind because, you know, he could already see that, you know, he could already see what, what, what has happened. And he actualized that through what we call middle knowledge, because there was no world feasible for him to create in which those things wouldn't happen. So that's how I kind of see how that plays out. I don't think that um, just because there's certain examples where, uh, and then also another thing that I'm remembering, sorry, this, this whole power outage had me frazzled for a minute. Um, one of the things you did point out was like the one in Genesis three, where he's walking in the cool of the day and stuff like that. And, um, if, if you read the original language there in the Hebrew, it's more of a, like God knew where they were. It's not like he was asking them a question. It was a term of endearment, like kids, where are you? Come here. You know, what's going on? You know, it's a term of endearment. It's not like a, a necessary wooden literal response, like saying, Hey, where did you guys go? And I'm looking for, you, you know, it's a term of endearment. Like what's going on guys, something's wrong. You know, it's like a parent, you know, like when you come in, you might like, yell at your kid to say hey where are you at but you know all the time that they're in your room hiding from you because you know uh they done something wrong and you stepped into the house and it smells like rotten food or something you know it's just a you know it, you know what's going on and you know where they are you know where their hiding place is and you know it Instead, you're expressing a term of endearment like, hey, it's time to rec it's time to face this. You know, it's time to do this. You know, and that's kind of how the Hebrew kind of ex explains that. A lot of things with the original language uh, are like that. And it does take a little bit of study to know. You know, I, I, I chide people all the time to not read a 4,000-year-old uh, manuscript with 20th century eyes, the, the ideas, the, the, the mind frame is totally different there. And I would just say that 
you know, we have to uh, we have to be mindful of that. Um, any anything we do in life is like that. You know, it, if I'm going to study rocket science, I need to understand and study it. You know, it's not like I could just pick it up and say, oh, I'm going to read this book. I'm not going to know rockets, uh, you know, by just reading a textbook. I got to learn it. I've got to study it. I got to see what makes it work, you know. So, yeah, that's kind of like where I was going with that. Okay. Um, Go ahead. I think I want to mention a quote about God's omniscience. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, God knew that he was going to send his son to die for us. Uh-huh. Why didn't he tell the Jews about that? Because right now the Jews do not believe that God's son exists. Right. So if it was all knowing, was it part of his plans so that there's the division between the Jews and the Christians? Because Christians yeah. and Jews. Yeah, each other. absolutely. So, Yeah. 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 I hear you. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that was he, he it was always prophesied, even in the Old Testament, there'd be a remnant of Israel that would uh, um, do that. That would be a remnant of Israel. But you also got to remember, you, you're saying the Jews don't accept him. But I mean, the church was started by Jews, right? I mean, it was the 12 apostles and then the earlier followers uh, from the Hellenistic Jews to the Jerusalem Jews that that were there. I mean. The early church was Jewish, so it's just because it broke away. I mean, that's just like everything in life, especially when freedom of the will is involved. We have the choice to reject it or to accept it. And, you know, I mean, look, look at the guys that 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 complain about like they think the earth is flat, right? This whole movement that's going on with this flat earth movement, right? However, we know it's round, but we and we have incredible evidence that it's round, right? However, these guys, they reject the fact that it's around. So, I mean, it, just because I don't think that that's an argument against omniscience per se, I think God knew that this would happen. I think he knew that these Jews would be hardened, um, just like he knew Pharaoh would harden his heart every time he, he let up on us on the plagues that happened. You know, whenever God showed mercy to Pharaoh is when Mer Pharaoh yeah, hardened his heart. Yeah, he hardened his heart every time he showed him, yeah. him mercy. So, so, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, so there's a case where God actually hardened Pharaoh's heart, right? Okay, so, so that's implying that God yeah. can control emotion. Yeah, but you got to look at it like, okay, so I don't think Pharaoh's heart hardening was something that God went in there and did. Okay, I think it's the result of God's omniscience that he knew that every time that Pharaoh would receive mercy from God, because every time that God stopped one of the plagues is when Pharaoh would harden his heart. It was God's mercy. And God knew that his mercy would cause Pharaoh to harden his heart. Why? Because chronologically he knows everything that, that, that Pharaoh was going to do. Okay. So you got to look at it like a barometer, for example, you know what a barometer is, you know, it measures the weather. Okay. So yeah. Uh, a, an, uh, in, it's like an infallible barometer, right? So an infallible barometer would measure the weather, but it doesn't determine the weather. The barometer never determines the weather. weather. And that's kind of like how it is with God's omniscience. Chronologically, God knows what Pharaoh was going to do because he actualized that world in which Pharaoh's free choices would land him in the position that it landed him. However, he doesn't determine those choices, just like the barometer doesn't uh, determine the weather, right? So that's so if Pharaoh, if the mercy that God, if it was different, if Pharaoh would have chose not to harden his heart, right? God, God's foreknowledge would have known that. So it, it, that's how it works. So I don't think it's a problem for omniscience at all. Well, okay, like if we still go back. To uh, Genesis six six, I'm still not convinced that why someone would purposefully cause grief to themselves because his heart was grieved. Yeah. Okay. So and he sent a flood afterward. Yeah. So, and why did not kill the people if he knew chronologically that they're going to do that? 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, against so why did he have to kill the people? Okay. So, so if you look like at, he never, yeah. knew. he never knew the, he never knew the evil in people, evil intentions in people's hearts. Yeah. So uh, again, the idea of omniscience, right. Is that God knows all truth propositions, right? It's not that he perceives them. Okay. He's not experiencing every true proposition. We're looking at this from a conceptualist basis. All right. Not a perceptualist basis. Okay. So God has real emotions, right? So when he sees the sin, no matter where that, when that's actualized and that's actually occurring in real time and in, in, in what we would call free knowledge, that's where God's emotion is going to come in. Okay. So that's where all that stuff takes place. So in Molinism, see, this is a this has been a philosophy that's been around for a long, long time. Okay, Luis de Molina said you could epistem epistemically understand God's omniscience in three categories: natural knowledge, every possible world that God could ever make, a, a world where uh, Caleb would not have the vaccine, or Caleb would have the vaccine, where I chose to be or or where I could have been a, a fireman or a armed security officer or a cop or a preacher, right? He knew all those worlds. However, because of our because of the factor of free uh, of freedom, he factors in middle knowledge. What worlds that I would freely choose to be one of those? Right. So he would freely know that under these given circumstances that I would choose to be an armed security officer versus a baker. Right. So <clears throat> he actualizes the one that that is based off my freedom. And now, as it's in real time in the free knowledge phase. So God knows every possible world, possible outcome, and he also knows every feasible outcome that he can work with with people with free will right so he knows because of our freedom what choices would would uh you know would be the best outcome for that uh all you know the total amount of good that's in the world to also be so he would actualize that world and through his free knowledge he experiences the sorrow of what that sin does. So, Russell, when you're talking, uh, uh, sorry, do you have any uh, points you wanted to comment on that? Well, no. me? Yeah. yeah. Did, you, did you have anything you wanted to say, or I'm trying to wrap this discussion up a little bit? We can go for like five, ten more minutes, but okay, um, okay. Of oh, course, we've also got First uh, Samuel 15, verse 11 where God actually really put in Samuel's kid. So that's also, I still, I'm still failing to grasp how an all-knowing God is going to still make decisions that will regret in future. Okay, so so maybe Caleb, you, you wanna uh, clarify that question for me a little bit? Yeah, no, he's pointing out and <clears throat> I believe first or second Samuel where God predicts you know Saul is going to be king he's still able to make these decisions so I guess he's saying that it seemed inconsistent that God can still um, predict the future while having that but I guess there's also more um, underlying questions with this like David was talking about I don't want to get too technical terminology here but possible worlds and so um, one can maybe ask why did if there's a possible world for everything why didn't God choose the possible world in which everyone freely chose to do the right thing so I guess you can answer both of those but um, okay, then, so to Cassiano's point and then to yours. Okay, so I think uh, under uh, where where God with, with Saul, God God granted the request of the people. Um, I don't see where that's an actual contradiction with uh, uh, omniscience, but God knew what was going to happen, and he even warned them. He even said, "Hey, look, you don't want a king. You don't want a king right now." And the people kept pushing it, and God granted them that that freedom to have a king. And he even 
was involved with it. And I, I think that's really important too, because you see God actually being involved with mankind. And I love that. I think that's one of the, the, the greatest things about Christianity is that God is actually involved. And, you know, even because we screw up all the time and we make a mess of things, he's still in the midst of it, you know, and I, and I love that about Christianity. Um, however, to Caleb's point, Caleb, your point was, uh, why didn't he actually choose a world where nobody does anything bad? Um, because I don't think that there's a possible world where that can be. It might only have like three people. And at that point it won't be feasible. Well, do you, I guess, I don't want to, you know, I'm not debating you as well, but just. To have <laughs> I get two debaters here. <laughs> well, do you think then that people can have free will in heaven? Yes, I absolutely do. I do think free will is in heaven. I, I, I use, I use Satan as an example. I mean, he walks in and out of heaven all the time. Uh, C.S. Lewis described it really, really cool, though. Um, I think once we get to heaven, and even Craig mentions this, the blinders go off, and uh, C.S. Lewis actually describes it as you know these people getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger in the Great Divorce, and it it comes to a point where they are so enamored with the world to come that they're so entrenched in it that. The, the choices we made in this life will seem trivial, like we won't even want to, to choose them. Why? Because everything in us is enhanced. So, and, and I know that's theology, and that's not really what we're supposed to be talking about right now, but that's kind of how the Christian sees it. Um, that's the way I see it. Uh, so, yeah, um, as far as God, uh, yeah, God knows things. I think that there's no contradiction in the things – Cassiano brings up necessarily, um, but I, I do understand his 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 issues with them because it does seem that you know God's makes mistakes at times, and I don't think that's it. I think it's it's more the less that God is working in a in a in a and directing a a uh, a world of free creatures that are fallen that are finite, and He's setting us on a trajectory. To make us better, which ultimately leads to Christ, and which ultimately leads to our sanctification. All right, thank you. Yeah, so I think uh, we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up now. So uh, we're gonna just do informal closings. I would say just keep it, you know, three minutes or less, but you don't have to use all the time. Usually, it's just you don't have to prepare for it in advance. So, uh, Cassiano, would you like to go first or second? I will second. Second. All right. David Russell, I'll let you yep. go and then I'll give Cassiano the last word since you went since he went first last and I'll let yep. him go last so he gets the final word. Yeah. That's fine. Um yeah, guys, you know, this is a really great discussion. And Cassiano, uh, again, we can we can do this multiple times if you'd like to come back on and and hopefully I won't have a power disruption in the middle of it. Uh but yeah, you know. I really appreciated the conversation. I, I appreciate the challenges. Uh, keep bringing them, man. You know, it helps. It helps both of us think. You know, think through things. You know, we can learn something from each other, and that's one of the greatest things that 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 a non-believer and a believer can learn from each other is what we believe, and we can properly represent what the other believes. And even if we disagree at the end of the day, we can go home as friends. I think that's one of the biggest biggest takeaways from doing a show like this. Uh, other than that, guys. Thanks a lot for having me, uh, being able to, I know it's my show, but thanks a lot for having me, uh, uh, be able to actually participate in the discussion this time. It was, it was fun. Thanks Caleb for hosting and Cassiano. Thanks for being here. All right. Well, thanks guys for hosting me on the show. It was a wonderful discussion. I enjoyed it a lot. Learned new things. I appreciate the knowledge that you brought up. And uh, yeah, I think I'll come back on again so we can still discuss more things because I've still got a lot of questions. Sure. Yeah. Anytime. So. Awesome, guys. Well, I think with that, it'll wrap it up. So um, for our watchers and listeners out there, just remember to stay tuned for more things coming up. You know, hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and the like button on this video um, whenever it comes out. Uh, I don't think we have any immediate events in the future. However, David Palman will be leaving in about a month and we are doing some very special things for his going away show. So you don't want to miss that. Uh, stay tuned for that. And with that, I think we will end this. So yeah, thanks everybody and have a good night.